Welcome to the A Catholic Life Podcast. I am Matthew, the author of A Catholic Life, welcoming you to episode 41 of the A Catholic Life Podcast. In today's episode, on the last and final Sunday after Pentecost, I'm happy to address the following topics. First, the last and final Sunday after Pentecost. Why is the Mass Propers for today always on the last Sunday after Pentecost? Secondly, is there only one legitimate Catholic calendar, or can there be a true diversity of liturgical calendars in the life of the one true Church on earth? Three, the upcoming feast days this week, and four, as part of that, a special mention to the St. Andrew's Christmas Novena, which is coming up soon, and I encourage all of you to mark it on your calendars to begin to observe this tradition. But before we dive into this, I'd like to stop and thank the sponsor for today's episode. This episode is sponsored by CatechismClass.com. CatechismClass.com is the leader in online Catholic catechism classes, offering everything from online children's catechesis programs through adult RCIA and continuing education courses. They also offer marriage preparation, baptismal preparation, confirmation prep, quinceanera prep classes, catechist training courses, and so much more. It is never too late to study the fullness of the Catholic faith, and CatechismClass.com is the gold standard in authentic Catholic formation online, tying together the Church Fathers, the authentic magisterium, the catechism passages from traditional catechisms, scripture readings, and so much more in a truly unique seven-step format. Check out their special Advent study course, now available for 25% off for a limited time using discount code ADVENT45. This special Advent course will feature a lesson for each day in the first week of Advent and then a weekly Sunday lesson for the remainder of the season. There are even special lessons for St. Nicholas Day, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, and the often forgotten Vigil of the Immaculate Conception. I highly encourage you to check it out and thank them, again, catechismclass.com, for sponsoring this episode. On to the first topic of today's episode. It concerns today, the last Sunday after Pentecost. Drawing from Dom Guéringer in his liturgical year, he writes, quote, The number of the Sundays after Pentecost may exceed 24 and go as far as 28, according as Easter is each year more or less near to the vernal equinox. But the Mass given here is always reserved for the last Sunday, and the intervening ones, be their number what it may be, are taken from the Sundays after the Epiphany, in which case they were not used at the beginning of the year. This, however, does not apply to the introit, gradual, offertory, and communion, which we have already said are repeated from the 23rd Sunday, end quote. What's interesting to note is, again, people who are not very familiar with the Church's liturgical calendar, especially as I'm referring to, of course, the traditional Roman rite, is that the the feast days and the liturgical cycles are going to be different. And the last Sunday before Advent is not the Feast of Christ the King, as it is in the Novus Ordo. The Feast of Christ the King was instituted in the early 1920s as an antidote to secularism, and the Pope at that time, Pius XI, specifically stated it was to be celebrated on the last Sunday of October, So that way Christ as King could be associated more closely with the upcoming then Feast of All Saints, 
is he is the king and the crown and glory of all the saints in paradise. So traditionally, this is not the Feast of Christ the King. It is instead the last Sunday after Pentecost with its own unique reading. So it's important to keep that in mind that this is the context of what I'm discussing. Uh, As we've seen for the past few weeks, the readings on the Sunday Masses in, of course, the traditional Roman Rite, are, were borrowed from the Sundays after Epiphany that were not used at the beginning of the year because, as Dom Geringer noted, the number of Sundays after Pentecost can change because Easter falls at a different time, and thus the number of Sundays after Epiphany can change as well. And now he goes on further, quote, We have seen how that Mass of the 23rd Sunday was regarded by our forefathers as really the last of the cycle. Abbot Rupert has given us the profound meaning of several of its parts. According to the teaching we have already pondered over, the reconciliation of Judah was shown as being, in time, the term intended by God, the last note of the sacred liturgy, blended with the last scene of the world's history as seen and known by God, end quote. So, as he notes here, the Mass text that was set on the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost, before the repeating and borrowing of the ones after Epiphany, used to be the last one of the cycle. And that was an important Mass because it really showed the ultimate reconciliation one day with the mass conversion of the Jews that will bring about the end of times and the end of of the world as we know it in the beginning of the second creation, as, as shown through the book of the Apocalypse. So that's what he's talking about here. And if you don't have a copy of the liturgical year, it's an exceptional uh, series. It is very long. It's about 15 volumes, but you can subscribe to get free readings uh, sent via email each day. There's an FSSP apostolate that does that. And I'll put a link in the show notes, too, because if somebody hasn't been reading it, as we are very soon to begin Advent, this would be an exceptional time to dive in and begin reading these each day, even just skimming through them on a busy day. Uh, And Dom Geringer, he now goes on again, quote, It was here, therefore, that Mother Church formally finished her liturgical year. Uh, And then he goes on again. It was only a few centuries ago that in view of giving to her, that is the church year, a conclusion more defined and intelligible to the faithful of these comparatively recent times, she chose to conclude the cycle with a prophetic description of the dreaded coming of her Lord, which is to put an end to time and to open eternity. End quote. As we will see, the beginning of the liturgical year in Advent is really about the coming of Christ as well. It's not just about the coming of Christmas. And the reading from today's Mass, from the 24th, chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel about the end of time really shows how this liturgical year is ending and it immediately opens anew. There's a perfect connection between the old and the new. It's almost the same reading, just taken from different gospel texts. One, of course, is going to be longer than the other. But it's really a profound meditation we can make and how the cycle is not broken. It's really circular. We're going to be diving right back into another liturgical year very soon. So I just wanted to go over some of that before we dive into some of the other materials. The next topic of this uh, episode is I'd like to cover uh, the question that was asked to me some time ago on, is there really only one Catholic calendar of saints or one Catholic calendar? 
And I recently wrote an article for this on the Fatima Center because there is unfortunately a slander that's sometimes hurled against traditional Roman Catholics who keep the 1962 liturgical calendar or the previous ones, that they're not keeping the same calendar which Christ's church on earth keeps. This claim that the Novus Ordo's 1969 calendar with subsequent modification since then is the only calendar which all Catholics must follow is actually manifestly false. So first, there is a diversity of rites and a diversity of calendars. There are more than 20 different Catholic rites, legitimate Catholic rites, and several churches which are all in communion with and under obedience to Rome. All of these Catholics are fully Catholic in the complete sense of the word, but they have their own unique calendars, their own different saints are commemorated, they have different days in the temporal cycle as well. So... That it's important to know, for instance, the Byzantine rite, the Cyril Malabar rite, they use entirely separate calendars with separate saints commemorated, separate holy days of obligation, even separate days of fasting and absence. And there is no doubt they do so with the church's blessing. But there's even a diversity of days in the Roman Catholic Church. Beyond the Roman rite, we have the Ambrosian, the Mozarabic, the Leon, the Bregan rites. All are part of the Western liturgical tradition, and there's various rites for religious orders. You have the Carmelite rite, you have the Dominican rite, and there's various uses as well. Uh, even in the Roman rite herself, various dioceses and countries and religious orders keep some different feast days. They would be listed in the Mass in some places supplement in the pre-conciliar um, missals. No one has ever doubted the legitimacy of this liturgical diversity. But... Furthermore, even some more in Pontificum, of course, the famous motu proprio issued by Pope Benedict XVI on July 7, 2007, addresses the use of the Roman Missal of 1962, which is commonly used in the traditional Latin Mass, and it also mentions the associated calendar. The miss, and, and, it, and it states that these may be used uh, by any priest. So the Missal of 1962 includes its own liturgical calendar, and this calendar differs significantly from the general Roman calendar of 1969, which is used in the Novus Ordos. Not just today, where they celebrate the Feast of Christ the King at a different time. It is substantially different. They have ripped out many different saints. They've moved other feast days around. It is a com- not only just a rearrangement. It is uh, completely different. And priests who celebrate the Mass according to the 1962 Missal are permitted to use the liturgical calendar of that Missal, including its particular feasts, its commemorations, and the ranking of its liturgical days. This means that the feasts, liturgical seasons, and calendar and customs associated with the 1962 Missal can be preserved when celebrating the Trinity Mass. Hence, the Morum Pontificum really affirmed the continued use of the liturgical calendar associated with the 1962 Missal. There is, therefore, no one Catholic calendar of saints. Those who try to discredit us for being traditional and keeping this older calendar uh, and hurl these slanders against us is really manifestly false. There is a diversity of calendars in God's church on earth, and that has always been the case and it will always be a case, as there are different liturgical rites with their own unique traditions, which keep their own calendars. And thanks be to God that they do, because it shows that despite this diversity in rites, in celebrations, in observances and customs, we are still united in the same doctrine and dogma, which really bind us and make us Catholic. So if you'd like more information, I will have a link to that article in the show notes. On to the next topic, though, of this episode. There's only a few feast days this week. There's actually many feria days where in which no uh, saint is commemorated. 
But one of the particular days I did want to highlight is November 30th. That is the Feast of St. Andrew the Apostle. And the day beforehand, um, that is something that doesn't come up a lot because as I've talked about in previous episodes, the vigils of the apostles uh, used to always, every apostle's day was really preceded by a vigil with few exceptions. And the Feast of St. Andrew is no different. But as I mentioned before, these vigils were all abolished uh, shortly before Vatican II. So it's it's uh, the case that they're not to be found in the 1962 Missal. So therefore, November 19th is the Vigil of St. Andrew the Apostle. So if you are not already observing St. Martin's Lent, which is uh, keeping these days uh, before Christmas as fasting and absence, with Sundays alone being the exception where there is no fasting, but you can still abstain, If you're not already doing that, I would encourage you to keep November 29th as a day of fasting and abstinence uh, because it is the vigil before the Feast of St. Andrew. What's uh, uh, also uh, worth noting is that um, St. Andrew, most people um, don't really realize it, he was the first apostle. So when we celebrate his feast day on November 30th, St. Andrew, the first apostle, was with our Lord throughout his entire life. And St. Andrew's brother was Simon Peter, the first pope. Some people forget that. After our Lord's ascension into heaven, Andrew journeyed to Greece to spread the faith, and he was martyred in the southern part of modern-day Greece on November 30th in the year 60 AD by Nero, who bound him, not nailed him, to an X-shaped cross. As St. Andrew suffered for two days, people still came to him to hear his words. He is the patron saint of Russia and Scotland. So if you ever see the X-shaped cross, that is the symbol of St. Andrew. And there's actually an interesting tradition called the Miracle of the Manna of St. Andrew. According to this tradition, St. Andrew was martyred in Patras, Greece. And in the year 357 AD, his remains were transferred to the city of Constantinople, where they were placed in the Church of the Holy Apostles, which was newly constructed by the Order of Emperor Constantine. During the Fourth Crusade in 1206, his relics were brought from Constantinople to Amalfi, Italy, where they remain today. In the 14th century, it was discovered that the bones of St. Andrew excrete a substance known as the manna of St. Andrew four times a year. January 28th, June 26th, November 29th, and December 7th. Though the Church has not issued any formal pronouncement regarding this miracle, faithful Catholics of Amalfi joyfully celebrate this occurrence and thank God through the intercession of St. Andrew for continuing to work his miracles among us. It's really an interesting tradition, and it's one I've I've really not heard many people uh, talk about before. It's one I actually I only uh, learned about recently, Um, but it does indicate God continues to work miracles through us. But before going on, November 29th, in addition to the vigil of St. Andrew, is the commemoration of St. Saturnius, He is said to have been a priest who came to Rome from Carthage, and at an advanced age he was arrested for the Catholic faith, and after suffering long imprisonment and horrible tortures, he was beheaded in the year 309. Along with him, his deacon, St. Sistinius, suffered martyrdom. Uh, What's interesting to note is St. Saturnius' feast day has the distinction of being the first saint entry in the proper of the saints in the Missal, since November 29th is often around the beginning of Advent, when the Church's new liturgical year begins. So as we are beginning to celebrate Advent, if you flip to the proper of the saints, because of course there's two cycles, you have the proper of the saints and the proper of the seasons, that's also called the temporal cycle, 
uh, the proper of the saints called the Sanctoral Cycle, actually begins November 29th. It doesn't begin January 1st, as you might think. It doesn't begin on an even day, even like, you know, December 1st. It begins November 29th with St. Saturnius. So it's important that we remember him and we keep him in mind, even though, unfortunately, he's one of the many saints eliminated in the Novus Ordo calendar. And the last saint worth mentioning for this week, December 2nd, is the Feast of St. Bibiana. The Church remembers her life on December 2nd, traditionally, of course. And as tradition relates, St. Bibiana was the daughter of two Christians, Flavian and Dolphosra, and they were, they were martyred. Now, the daughter of the two uh, parents who were martyred was Bibiana and Demetria. Uh, Demetria, after confessing her faith <clears throat> in the Catholic faith, was slain, and Bibiana was put to great sufferings as she was placed under the seduction of a wicked woman. As St. Bibiana refused to give in to the assaults, the saint was ordered to be tied to a pillar and beaten with scourges laden with lead. And so the saint was viciously beaten to death for her faith in Christ, while a young girl, and all while suffering and joy, knowing that by doing so, she will receive the crown of martyrdom. What faith that we can see in the lives of the saints, especially young children, young girls who refuse to give in to sin and would willingly give their lives to God. And then the last topic of this episode that I'd like to mention is with the Feast of St. Andrew coming up this week, it is the beginning of this uh, of the Christmas Novena called the St. Andrew Christmas Novena. And some people say it's piously believed that those who pray this prayer 15 times a day until Christmas will obtain what they ask. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. But it's an important prayer that we can say is a wonderful meditation. It goes, Hail and blessed be the hour and the moment in which the Son of God was born in the most pure Virgin Mary at midnight in Bethlehem in piercing cold. In that hour, vouchsafe, O oh my God, to hear my prayers and grant my desires to the merits of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and of his Blessed Mother. We can pray that prayer for any number of intentions, but we might want to think about people in our lives or family or friends who may be fallen away from the faith and who need to go back to Mass and confession this upcoming um, Christmas. So let's maybe offer this novena for them. Thank you, everybody, for listening. May God grant you a most blessed week and a very happy new year next weekend as we inaugurate the Advent liturgical season. But I do hope most of you are observing St. Martin's Lent, keeping these days now still as fasting and absence as we look forward to the celebration of our Lord's birth at Christmas. Thank you for listening, and let us strive for greater holiness this and every week. Ad maiorum Dei Gloriam. We don't need to